0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Okay, I've got the, uh, the privilege of finishing our series on sex, etc. I was having dinner with a lovely church family last night, and an uh, 11-year-old girl, um, whilst chomping on a potato, looked across to me and said, Morris, is sexism a sin? So I chewed thoughtfully on my bacon. (laughs) I wonder where this is going. Normally it's about unicorns or dinosaurs with 11-year-old girls. But I said, I do believe sexism is a sin. So she said, well, is it sexism then to only have elders in the church who are men? I said, oh. Okay. So I ran for cover. (laughs) I said, "Uh, come and listen to me tomorrow morning. Because as it happens, the topic of my sermon is... Men and women, is there a difference? Okay. If I'm having to demonstrate to you that there is a difference between men and women by this stage of your life, then you clearly have had a fairly inadequate education. But obviously, that's a much, much deeper question. You know, what about the role of men and women? What about in our church? What role should men and women have in the life of the local church? Are all roles open to both men and women? Are there some roles that are for one, not the other? We're living in... uh, an egalitarian age, aren't we? Now, two words just to get you up to speed with if you're not familiar with them. Egalitarian is a term that's used to describe the fact that people would consider that men and women are equal in every single respect. So that would be one uh, uh, camp, certainly in the church, that you know men and women are entirely equal. Then the other word that you ought to be familiar with is uh, complementarian, which is uh, another camp of people who would consider that men and women have different but complementary roles, um, certainly in the life of the church. So we live in an egalitarian age. We live in a culture which is convinced, utterly convinced, of equal rights for all, that uh, there should be absolutely no difference at all whatsoever between men and women, and I think we would agree with that in many, many ways. So I know this is a bit of a a minefield, okay? And I'm just about to walk straight through the minefield, Dead man preaching. Okay, <laughs> here we go. So brace yourselves for this one. Okay, now the um, the reality is that I'm not here to try and win an argument. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not here to try and debate and win an argument and say right, this is right, all this is wrong, or whatever. My job really is simply open up Scripture, uh, open up uh, you know some perspectives on this for you to go. And, and make your own evaluation about this. So I'm here to help you, all right? I'm not here to tell you I'm right and you're wrong. I'm not here to do anything. I'm just here to help you evaluate and make your own considered uh, decisions and choices that in satisfy your understanding of the truth and satisfy your conscience. So, in what ways are men and women identical? Let's start there, Okay. I'll start with the easy bit. In what ways are men and women identical? Well, okay. Men and women are identical in every way. And they differ, I would suggest, only in two respects, which I will come on to inevitably (laughs) a little bit later. Okay, But in every other way, men and women are equal. So firstly... Men and women are equal in status. We read this in Genesis 1. This is a very important word, status. We're equal in status. Genesis 1:27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Man and female, he created them. Paul in Galatians 3:28. he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. It's unequivocal in Scripture. Men and women have exactly the same status. One is not superior uh, to the other. So like the Jew in the old prayer who prays and thanks God that he wasn't born a Gentile or a woman. That is not a biblical prayer. Men and women have the same status. Are we agreed? Men and women are equal in ability. I don't think there's any suggestion in Scripture of superior or inferior men are not made more able than women or vice versa. Men and women each have their own strengths and weaknesses, which we'll, we'll come on to that a little bit later. But essentially, in terms of the basic template of ability, men and women are created equal. So sometimes people will argue or try to argue, you know, well, you know, sort of women aren't able to do these things. That's why men would have these roles. That is rubbish. Okay? I, uh, I served for many years in... Her Majesty's Air Force, under the uh, the leadership of Mrs. Margaret Thatcher. You know, Germany has been led by quite a remarkable woman, Angela Merkel. America, if our prayers are answered, will be led by a woman. <laughs> And uh, it's not about ability. It's really not about ability in those sort of terms. I don't think we can argue that um, certain roles are, um, uh, you know, or things are, are simply on a case of ability. Uh, that's not the case. I think we're made equal. Men and women have similar abilities. Yeah? Okay. So status, ability, equal. Calling equal. Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 39, Jesus replied, "'Love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'with all your soul, with all your mind. "'This is the first and greatest commandment. "'The second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself.'" Matthew twenty-eight nineteen: Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are not gendered. <laughs> okay? Worship and service, bearing spiritual fruit, exercising spiritual gifts, excelling in one anothering. None of these are sort of more for men and women or vice versa. We are equal in calling. So I often think sometimes if you're ever sort of worried about roles in terms of men and women and blah, 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 well, if you just get busy getting on with this sort of stuff, you won't have time to think about everything else. Let's get on with uh, loving our neighbours and saving the nations and serving the poor. If you can do all these things, I think you'll be doing pretty well, men and women. Okay, so I would uh, say from a biblical perspective, from a historical doctrine perspective, from a common sense perspective, men and women are equal in status. Men and women are equal in ability. Men and women are equal in calling. There's no difference. So in what ways are men and women Different, I would see that there are two differences, two key respects in which we are different, and both of these differences are ordained and defined by God. Okay? The first is obvious. Okay? We differ in physique. Have you noticed that? This is defined by God. I know at the moment there's a little bit of a discussion about people trying, trying to jump from uh, uh, one side of the gender spectrum to the other. But the, the essential basic template for mankind is we are created male and female. This is God's created order. We are different. And that comes with certain limitations. Okay? These are limitations that have been established by God. However much I try... However hard I squeeze, however many times I try and persuade myself, I am not able to have a baby. <laughs> that came as a shock to some of you, perhaps. I don't know. This is a physical limitation defined by God. I can't do anything about it. I could get offended. Why are women allowed to have babies? I'm not allowed to have babies. What's going on here? Actually, I'm quite grateful. <laughs> anyway, There we go. We have different limitations In physical strength, and I always am amazed by this one. You know, because how can I think we can live in a sort of a delusion or an unreality? Check it out. Check it out. The second Bible, the Guinness Book of Records. Check it out. Who runs fastest? Lifts the heaviest weights? Jumps highest? Jumps furthest? Men and women have different physical limitations. It's a reality. It always makes me, uh, well, it used to make me smile. Now it makes me a little bit irritated when you watch some sort of blockbuster movie where some little, you know, sort of beautiful waif-like girl clobbers a 20-stone man on the chin and knocks him flying. And I'm thinking, I'd love to see you try and do that in real life. You know, we've got limitations. It's not right or wrong. It's just reality. Yeah? Let's just get real about it. <laughs> it's just real. And it's defined by God. It's not defined by us. It's not defined by a misogynistic culture. It's not defined by anything else. There are certain physical limitations that men have that women don't have. And there are certain physical limitations that women have that men don't have. Am I right? <laughs> and, it's, and it's the way we were made. It's ordained by God. Okay, we have different... Uh, Emotional limitations, okay? We see things, men and women see things in different ways. Men tend to look at things far too objectively, yeah? Women tend to look at things subjectively. Both are helpful. We need each other to get the full picture on things. We all know this. We process the world and life in different ways. You know, if a man shows any sensitivity to an issue whatsoever, it's said he is in touch with his feminine side. Yeah, And uh, we don't talk so much about women being in touch with their masculine side. That's too scary to contemplate. But it's, uh, the fact is, there's a recognition that we look at the world in different ways, and that's something to celebrate. It's not one to say, well, one way of looking at the world is weak and one way is, is strong. That's rubbish. It's different. We differ in emotional limitations. So we differ in physical limitations. We differ in emotional limitations. It is the way we are made. God has ordained it so. So, here we come to the rub. Here is where our culture is getting tripped up, and it tends to trip up as well, us up as well. And this is the point that I need to unpack, and where some of you in this room will disagree with me, and I have to say I entirely, entirely respect your point of view, if you have a different point of view to the one that I'm presenting here. The other way in which men and women differ, so I've said we differ in limitations, physical and emotional, we differ in responsibility, and this is defined by God. And this is where culture struggles with this. So it starts with Adam and the creative order, Romans 5, 12 to 14. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sins. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. We all recognize the significance of those verses. Anybody help me? What's the significance of those verses? (laughs) People get nervous answering my questions now, don't they? They No, what does he mean? Well, if you read the narrative of Genesis, it was Eve who actually was the one who first committed the sin. Read it for yourself. But it was Adam that God holds responsible. Very, very important principle. God holds the man responsible. We then see responsibility modeled in marriage. And this is really important. Ephesians 5.23, The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, what I want to try and help us see is if we look at certain truths through the lens of uh, what we read about in Scripture, we will come to a very different conclusion to if we look through certain things through the lens of what the world has to say. And this is the first example of that. Let's think about our relationship with Jesus because one of the things that people struggle with in terms of headship in marriage is this idea that you know, men uh, you know, somehow have dominion over women and women have to submit to the men and da-da-da, and, and do we say, uh, I will obey in the marriage vows and blah-blah-blah. Now, we're the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. Does anybody here wrestle with the idea of submitting to Jesus? Okay, it's a rhetorical question. You don't have to put your hand up. Why would would we struggle with the idea of surrendering to Jesus and submitting to his headship? Why would we not struggle with that idea? Well, we would not struggle with that idea because we would recognize that Jesus, of all people, has our best interests at heart. That Jesus, as a, a loving husband to the church, has laid his life down for the church. That he is going to do everything he can to ensure that things are well for the church. So, surrendering and submitting to Jesus is not an issue because we know actually that's the wise thing to do. And this is the principle that is presented to us in marriage. If a husband is being faithful to his vows, to his wife, to cherish her, I mean, it's for me, this is one of the most beautiful words to think about in this context. (laughs) that a husband would cherish his wife. Anybody give me a, an idea, of what, what does the word cherish mean? Anybody give me a, give me a pop, come on then. What, is, what does it mean to cherish something? Value. Treasure it. Protect. Nurture, I think I heard someone say. Yeah. Everything. Cherish everything, Yeah. Love, you're right. The word cherish is a very, very strong word. and It speaks about, actually, my focus is on you. Actually, I'm not so concerned about myself. I'm concerned about you. And I'm concerned that you are everything that God's called you to be, that you will fulfill your potential in God, that I'm going to care for you in every way I possibly can. I'm going to give my life for caring for you in that way and cherishing you, showing you value and showing you how precious you are and treasuring you. That is my vow to you. I think if more men cherished their wives, more wives would struggle less with the idea of submitting to their husbands. That would be my contention. I think it's because men have not taken responsibility to care for their wives in the way that Jesus cares for His church that women are saying, oh, "I don't want any of that. So I can't buy this whole, you know, submitting thing because I'm, I'm not going to submit to that disfigured, grotesque expression of headship—not man. <laughs> Some of people are leaping ahead of there. No, I'm not going to submit to that grotesque man." <laughs> does your wife in, have no shadow of a doubt that she's the most precious thing in your life aside of Christ we all know that in this world does, is your wife is there a shadow of doubt in her mind that she's not the most precious and treasured thing you have in your world see so this is the principle if we look at This issue of men and women through the lens of Christ and His Church, and see how Christ has served His Church, and we in marriage are looking to demonstrate that to the world. You come up with a very different picture than if you look at marriage through the lens of the world, saying, "Well, you're men and women. You just, you know, you're equal. You do the same thing. You agree on everything." That's not my the way I relate to Christ. That's not the way I relate to Christ. I'm saying to Christ, look, I recognize that in this relationship, there are things that you can bring to this that will bless me and enrich my life. And I'm not going to compete for that. And this is the balance that Scripture is trying to help us to see this. We don't begrudge submitting to Jesus because we know Jesus wants the best for us. In the same way as man devotes himself to the best interest of his wife, so it is a pleasure, an advantage to submit. Obedience and submission have become contentious words because men have not cherished and loved their wives as they should. So we see that modeled in marriage. We see it modeled in the Trinity. And this is, to me, this is the deal breaker in terms of an egalitarian point of view. I cannot. If you look at men and women through the lens of the Trinity, I can't understand how you can come to any other conclusion that Jesus the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit are all equal. Amen? Well, no one's going to argue with that, are they? No one's going to say, well, God the Father's a bit more important than God the Son. If you say that, if you say somehow, you know, yeah, yeah, there's the Trinity, but really... You know, uh, Jesus, um, he basically has to do what the Father tells him because he said that. I only ever do what what the Father tells me. And the Spirit is sort of wafts around doing stuff. We're not really sure what he's up to. No, they're all God. The Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. They are equal. Three in one. This is the amazing mystery of the Trinity. That they are three, but they are one. They are no different. There's not some sort of... Hierarchy of status in the Trinity. This is really important, folks. If you look through this lens at what it means to be man and what it means to be woman, you'll come out with a very different conclusion than if you look through the lens of what the world is helping you see. Because we can easily see how it is possible, when we look at the Trinity, for men and women... To have the same status but different roles in that relationship. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have different roles in that relationship. Jesus was sent by the Father. You know, oh, they made a mess down there. All right? <laughs> I'll hold your coat, off you go. He comes down and says, Look, you know, I only do whatever I hear the Father saying. Well, Jesus, can't you think for yourself, man? Come on, man, up. You should be equal. Come on. You know? Who's ever going to say that? That is blasphemous. It's blasphemous to say that. To say that somehow Jesus, you know, he was just God's dog's body, just did what, you know, uh, God told him to do. That's blasphemy. Okay? Jesus and God the Father were equal in status, but they understood that they had different roles in that relationship. It's very, very important. If we think that because Jesus submitted to the Father, that somehow he's inferior to the Father, we've blown it. We've completely blown it. And it's important to understand this. So, if you take all this together, this is why we would teach in our church that governmental oversight is male. Okay? All of the above is reflected in the New Testament pattern of elder leadership. Taking it all together... The, the fact that uh, men are head of the households, the fact that Scripture uh, shows us and teaches us that um, uh, men are appointed for eldership, and all of these things together, ultimate responsibility for vision, direction, growth, and discipline of the local church rests with men. And men and women can participate in any role of ministry in the life of the local church as long as they're submitted to their eldership, which is male. So... Therefore, every single man in this congregation who is not an elder is in exactly the same position as every single woman in terms of the freedom and liberty they have um, to exercise their ministry. So what would be the reaction to that? Why not women elders? We're equal in status. We're equal in ability. We're equal in gifting. Why would we say that we... What's the reaction that we tend to hear in terms of uh, why would we not say that headship uh, in eldership is male, in the same way that we would teach that headship is male in marriage as well. Well, first of all, um, Paul says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. I don't think, if someone comes to me and says, look, Morris, we don't get this headship thing, and in our marriage it's 50-50, okay, that's all right, you know, it's permissible. People say, you know, well in our church we have uh, women elders and male elders. I think that's okay. Everything's permissible. I'm not uh, going to say that somehow. I don't think it is a primary doctrine, but I think it becomes a primary issue. I think more people probably choose not to join our church because of the issue of male eldership than on any sort of nuance of doctrine on the Armino-Calvinist scale or whatever. You know, all of this sort of stuff they're not sort of so bothered about. You know, but oh, no women in leaders. Well, we're off. We're not going to have that, you know. And I think, well, I respect that. I entirely respect that. I've got no personal objection to women in eldership. Okay. I don't think God's going to condemn us if we do or we don't. I'm not going to fall out with people over this issue. But as elders of this church, it's our responsibility to be stewards of apostolic doctrine. And our conviction is that if we are going to change this order, of male headship in the church and in marriage, we are tampering with issues of very, very significant importance, including how we interpret the relationship between Christ and his bride and how we interpret the Trinity, and I don't want to touch that. (laughs) So I'm prepared to get a caning in heaven because, Morris, you didn't allow there to be women elders, than a caning in heaven because, Morris, you taught the doctrine of the Trinity poorly, and wrongly. Right? I'm responsible for that. You're responsible for deciding what you think. He- hear me in the right way. Hear me- I really want you to hear this in the right way. There are many, many churches in this town who would agree with an egalitarian perspective. All right? I don't want- this isn't a put-up or shut-up comment. I'm just saying I respect people who have this point of view this is where we stand. If you're uncomfortable with that, then I'm appealing to you to find the, the, the grace to accept the fact that this is how we view this. And if you really, in all conscience, cannot agree with that, you may be comfortable in a church where people would agree with that point of view. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say it tenderly. I'm not saying, hey, you agree with this we get out. I'm just saying, look, you, know, you might feel uncomfortable with us because I'm not, I'm not sure we're going to be changing our... Tack on this one. So, everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. Secondly, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Romans 12, verse 2. I think we have to think about our motives on this issue. Yeah, We've got to be aware we live in a, a broken world. We are saturated by this culture. We are bombarded by this culture where people are offended at the idea that we would suggest that there are different roles for men and women, you know? They are not even offended; they are enraged by this, okay, What are our motives in this? Is leadership better? power, control, attainment is to lead somehow preferable or superior? Well if we read in the Bible that you know he who is first shall be last, he who is last shall be first don 't remember. Kingdom culture is upside down. You know, Paul said, Look, you know, I might, I might be an apostle, but I am the least here." You know, Jesus came not to be served but to serve. Jesus did not consider equality something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, and consequently was exalted to the highest place. What lens are we looking through here, friends? If we're looking through the lens of What culture is telling us, we will always be offended at the idea that we could be equal in status but have different roles. That's always going to offend us because that's what culture is always going to tell us. Because culture is not of God, it's of the devil, and the devil questions God at every point and wanted to take what was not his and sought to grasp things that were not his to take, and we know the consequences. He was hurled out of heaven as a consequence. So let's think about Jesus. He didn't consider equality something to be grasped. It wasn't you know, this sort of sense that you know, everything has to be equal as far as Jesus was concerned. He understood his identity as a member of the Trinity, and he understood that he had a different role within that Trinity, and it didn't affect his sense of self-worth or self-value in every, any way. So if we look through the lens of Trinity we'll see that different responsibilities is a godly order and does not infer superior or inferior. So what does this mean in practice? What it means for you in practice in the life of this church? Women, you can do anything. <laughs> anything! Okay? As long as you're accountable to the eldership, and the eldership is male. And in this way, you're no different to any of the men in this church. Okay? You're free to do anything. Thank you, Morris. I'm happy to see women lead, teach, lead worship, exercise all the gifts, prophesy, counsel, bring insights, suggestions, revelations. Women, get on with it. Get on with the mission. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. If you really are wrestling and struggling to agree with this point of view and you are allowed to, okay, you're allowed to disagree, I just want to make this comment. I first preached this message 20 years ago. It's never changed. <laughs> it's the same message I preached on this 20 years ago when I first started ministry of the church. Len's probably heard it three or four times now, poor bloke. <laughs> okay, I want you to consider this as well. Um, you know, there are plenty of other churches that would agree with an egalitarian viewpoint. Consider this. All other things being equal, If a debate is underway within the evangelical church and the church through history has almost universally been on one side of the debate until the last few decades, then it could be argued that the presumption ought to be that the church through history has been right. When the new idea comes along, the burden of proof rests with the new idea and not with the old one. And what are saying there is, look, what we're teaching here about servant-hearted male headship in, in marriage, servant-hearted male eldership in the church, as mirrored in the relationship between Christ and his bride and in the mystery of the Trinity, is a doctrine that has been consistently taught almost universally in the evangelical church for 2,000 years. Okay? And we now find in our culture that all of a sudden we're coming under enormous pressure to reconsider this point of view. And many, many, many churches are coming into line with that. I get quite militant when it comes to the idea that the church is having to come in line with what the world is telling us. I get militant about that. It's not that the church is always right, but I'm always very careful about this. Now, come on. Why has this doctrine served the church world for 2,000 years? Now we're changing it. Have we changed it because we sat down and made this open-hearted re-evaluation of our convictions and came up with a different point of view? No, it's because the world is bullying us. That is my honest contention. The world is bullying us into a different point of view and is sowing these ideas among men and women that somehow this is unfair, unjust, and uh, even unbiblical. Well, here we stand. I can do no other. Okay, I have done all I can do to help you today, just to consider the factors about uh, men and women, equal in status, equal in ability, equal in calling and gifting. I don't think that's the issue. We have different limitations that have been ordained by God. We have different physical and emotional limitations. That's the design of God. We have different limitations in responsibility. That's the design of God. And we can interpret these by looking at the relationship between Christ and his church and how that relationship works, and by looking at the relationship between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and seeing how that relationship works to understand how we can be equal in status, not infer superiority and inferiority, and yet have different orders and roles among us as we seek to serve God's kingdom purposes to the ends of the earth. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.